Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hey, good morning everyone. How are you doing? Turn to the person next to you say, it's great to see you in church today. Come on, you know the drill. Turn to the other person and say, it's good to see you as well. Hey, why don't you say something nice about the person next to you? Come on, right now, right where you are, think something nice about the person who's sitting next to you and just bless them with some great words. Tell them they're beautiful, handsome, got a great voice, you know, I don't know, you've got a great family, something like that. Just let them know how much they are appreciated. Can I just say from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of Gabby and I, we just love and appreciate every single one of you so much for all you do, for all that you are, for being part of our amazing church. And so come on, why don't you give yourselves a clap? Today... This church wouldn't be the same without you. Do you know why? Because you are the church. Church is not a building. It's not a name. It's the people in it. And so we've got some amazing, great people here. So that means we have an amazing, great church. Hey, in two weeks, we get to, to do a great event. We have, you know, good, we have Friday off. Anyone know we've got a long weekend coming up? We've got the Friday off, Saturday, Sunday. We get the Monday off. You know, if you've been to the supermarkets, you can pick up uh, hot cross buns, you can pick up chocolate eggs, chocolate bunnies. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? My mum buys me the Cadbury uh, male bunny rabbit every year. Not the small one, the big one. Not the female one, the male one. The big one. And so ever since I've been a teenager, that's a tradition. So I'm looking forward to that. And on the Sunday, you know, you may have a tradition that you get together with your family, maybe have a feast, enjoy some good food, maybe some wine and just enjoy each other's company. And then maybe, I don't know, yeah, you might take some time away. Maybe you're going to be on a holiday with your family, a school holiday start, and we do those kinds of things. And the question is, what's this amazing event that's coming up? Easter. Easter. I'm glad someone knows. This amazing event that's coming up, it's Easter. And, you know, for many people, Easter is all about time off, a long weekend, time to get together, eat, you know, do things, time going away, all those kinds of things. For a lot of people, that's all that Easter is. But for some other people, some people who call themselves followers of Jesus, for Christians, Easter is so much more than that. Gab already shared, it's, it's one of the most sacred traditions remembrances that we have during the year. It's one of the most important things that we talk about. It's at the cross that Jesus accomplished so much for us. It's when we remember him. It's when we reflect on his death, his burial, but not just his death and his burial, his resurrection. He rose again. He's not dead. It's an event that changed the course of humanity forever. If you think about all the events in history, there's no greater event than the event of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. It's the greatest love story ever told. It's the greatest story of sacrifice, of redemption, of God's love and grace. It's the greatest story of victory ever told. It's the Easter story. It's Jesus. It's the cross. It's you and me. Turn to someone and say, it's you and me. Today we're beginning a new Easter series and it's called Last Words. And we're going to have a look at some of the last words that Jesus said as he was on the cross. And I like to think and I believe as I've been studying the scriptures that those last words that Jesus shared were such important words for us. And so we're going to spend some time looking at three phrases that he said specifically and what it might mean to us. And as we do that, we're going to ask the question, 
what is the significance of these last words that Jesus said? What, what, is, what was Jesus trying to communicate at that time? What was he saying to God? What was he saying to people around him? What was he, what was he saying? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for Christians? What does it mean for people who are far from God, don't believe in God? What does it mean for the world and humanity? These last words of Jesus on the cross. And I want to encourage you to really prioritize, make it a priority to be at church, to be leaning in, to be coming along these next couple of weeks, uh, yeah, two weeks, and online to make sure that you're putting God first and to celebrate Easter together. And also, as Gabby said, be inviting your friends, encourage them to come along uh, on Easter Sunday, but also in the weeks leading up to Easter so that they can hear the gospel message. They can hear the message of Jesus, why Jesus came. And it's going to be an amazing time. We're believing for salvation during this Easter season. Why don't you close your eyes? We'll just pray. God, I just thank you for our time here this morning. I pray you anoint my words as I speak. God, we remember the cross and all you did for us at Easter. Lord Jesus, as we look at some of these last words that you shared, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak into our hearts, speak into our spirit, God. Bring a revelation of who you are, what you did, your love for us, God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? I've got three wonderful children. Uh, if you don't know, I've got Joel, who is 14. I have Ethan, who is 12. And I have Roman, who is 4. But when I say I, we, me and my wife, uh, have those children. I've also got a beautiful wife, Gabby, who I've been married to for 22 years. And um, our family is just the perfect family. The amazing thing is over those 22 years, Gab and I have never had a fight. Never been angry with each other. Never gone to bed with, you know, in anger. Uh, at my children, they don't answer me back. I don't fight for my kids. I never get angry at them because I'm the perfect dad. We just have a perfect, perfect family. Obviously, I'm joking. Obviously, I'm joking. You know, that the reality is that we do fight. Gavin and I, we do have arguments and fight with each other. My children argue with each other. Uh, you know, I argue with my children and fight with them. Sometimes, Gabby and I will argue with each other because of the way that one of us was arguing with the kids. Any parents relate to that today? You know what I'm talking about. Well, through all of this, one thing we try to do is we try to say sorry to each other. So if I've done something wrong to Gabby or to my children, I try to say sorry to them. I don't always remember, but I'm trying my best. I try to say sorry to them. And then what we also do is if we're on the receiving end of something that we feel is unfair or unjust, we, we try to forgive the other person. So, you know, if Gabby, it's so often with Gab, you know, I've got to forgive her all the time. I'm always forgiving Gab, you know. But, but, you know, we say sorry when we're wrong and we forgive when we've been wronged. Who knows it's not always too easy to forgive. It's not always easy to forgive. You know, uh, uh, kids talking back to you or whatever, you know, those kind of things may be easy. But sometimes when you've been hurt or when something's happened in your life that has just changed your whole life in a moment, when someone's done something bad to you, it can be difficult to forgive. Maybe they said something nasty about you or, or your family. Maybe they physically or emotionally or uh, mentally or, or sexually abused you, did something really destructive like this. Maybe they let you down right when you needed them most, right when you needed that person. That person left you, walked out, you know, disappeared, something along those lines. And if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Could have been a family member, could have been a parent, could have been a child, a, a high school friend, maybe a manager at work, could have been a pastor, 
someone you looked up to, someone you trusted, someone you thought had your back, who you could rely on, and someone you believed in, someone you thought loved you. The natural tendency when someone hurts us or when someone disappoints us or lets us down, the natural tendency of human nature is to write them off, to respond to them in the same way. Am I, am I the only person like that here today? Is anyone else like that? That's the natural tendency. We're going to write them off, to grow bitter towards them, to, have, to let the seeds of bitterness grow in our heart, to, to maybe end up in a place where we might even say that we, we hate that person. We can't think about that person without having destructive thoughts or evil thoughts towards that person. But you know, as followers of Christ, as people who want to be Christ-like, and we've just come off a four-part series talking about being Christ-like, which basically means to be like Jesus. And if you want to listen to that series, you can jump onto our podcast. But as followers of Christ, people who want to be Christ-like, we need to look to what Jesus would do in this situation. And so today, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke, and we're going to look at a, a situation that Jesus was in. But before we do that, just a little bit of background um, information for you. Luke is a book in the Bible, in case you don't know. It's part of four books called the Gospels. The, gospel message, the Gospels are four books that talk about the life, the ministry, the death, the teachings, the miracles of Jesus. And um, yeah, they're, they're those four books. And it's from those books that we know all about Jesus. They're, they're biographies. Has anyone read a biography? Before, you know, maybe on Winston Churchill or on Elon Musk or Bill Gates, whatever, you read a biography. Well, these, these are essentially biographies on Jesus, books written about Jesus. And before we begin our passage today, I want to set the scene for you because I don't want to make the assumption that everyone here knows the story of Jesus. So I want to set the scene and explain the story of Jesus because maybe it's your first time in church today. And if that's the case, we just want to welcome you. So great that you're here today. You're in the best place that you could be if you're searching, if you're looking for answers, we believe you can find them here in church. So here's some things you need to know about Jesus. Jesus was born a virgin. His mother was called Mary, and his birth was prophesied, and it was prophesied that he would be a savior to his people that were the Jews. Uh, Jesus, he starts his public ministry at the age of 30. So if, you know, if you're a young person and you're not yet 30, there's still time for you, okay? And even if you're past that age, there's still time. God can always use you. The Jewish people, they're waiting for a promised Messiah. They believe that there's this Messiah coming. They believe he's going to establish an earthly kingdom. And that's who Jesus claims to be. He doesn't also claim to be the Messiah. He claims to be the Son of God, a big claim. Jesus isn't just making claims. He's also backing them up. He's doing signs and wonders. He's doing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's, he's opening blind eyes. He's healing um, deaf ears. He's, he's restoring arms. And he's doing all these miracles. He's multiplying food, feeding the thousands. He's casting out demons. So Jesus is doing all these things. Not just that. He's not just doing signs and wonders. He's also able to quote the religious texts of the time. He's able to quote them back with such and uh, understanding and spiritual insight and such authority that even the religious leaders of the time, the most intellectual, advanced, knowing uh, people of the religious texts of the time, even they are amazed. And we actually see in the scriptures, as you read it, they try to find ways to trip Jesus up. But every time they do that, Jesus just turns it around and it makes them look foolish when they're trying to make Jesus look foolish. On top of this, 
He's got his Instagram going. He's got his Facebook growing. I don't know, maybe he's doing some TikToks. I'm not sure, but he's got a massive following. There's a huge following of people that are following him. He, 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 and there's people are starting to say, maybe he actually is the Messiah. And there's some other people who are even going further and saying, maybe he actually is the Son of God. Just, just kind of a bit of an outrageous statement to make. And then so we get to this time where the religious leaders have finally had enough. And so they say, you know, we don't like these claims that Jesus is making about being the Son of God. And so they, they, they bring him before the religious courts and some of the claims he made, they said, um, are wrong claims. And so because of that, the Roman governor enables them to crucify Jesus on the cross. And so Jesus carries his cross partly to the place of crucifixion. Before that, he's beaten, he's flogged, he's spat upon, he's He's punched. All these things are happening to him. He's then nailed to the cross through his hands and his feet. And he does it all for us. All those things, he does it for us. And so that brings us up to our passage of Scripture today, which is in Luke 23. And it's here we find Jesus dying on the cross. And he makes his first, last statements word, uh, last word statements. Uh, Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Come and say it with me. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. I don't know about you, but if that was me up on the cross, probably wouldn't be my last words. Probably wouldn't be that one of the last things coming out of my mouth. You know, usually when we're ill-treated, we're usually when we've had lies spread about us, usually when we've been punished in a way that is unjust and unfair, that's not the things that we want to say. We want, we want to react. We want to shout, it's not fair. Has anyone ever said that? It's not fair. You know, what about me? You know, all these kinds of things. You know, it's not fair. We want to stand up for ourselves. We want to fight back. And, you know, this happens every day in my house. In fact, I'm sure if there are any parents here or anyone who has looked after children before, they may or may not have been your own, but you hear a statement all the time, it's not fair. Maybe someone can remember actually saying that themselves to their parents. It's not fair. I think I've said that a few times when I was younger. Maybe they're being punished because they've been disobedient or they've lied to you. Maybe it's because their friends are doing something but they're not allowed to do it. It's not fair, Dad. All my friends are doing it. Or it could be some other reason. It's not fair is a famous catch cry in my house. And that's just my wife, Gabby, you know. I haven't even got on to talk about my kids yet. And uh, so, you know, as kids, my kids might say that. And parents, we're having a laugh today. We're, you know, we're having a laugh about that. But the reality is, in our own lives, in our own situations, circumstances, we're the same. We say, God, it's not fair. We say, this thing that's happening, it's not fair. We want to protest our innocence, whether we did or didn't do something wrong. We want to protest our innocence, whether the rumors are true or not. We want to say, no, this is not fair. This should not be happening. But Jesus, it's not a question of maybe he was innocent. Jesus was innocent. The Bible says there is no sin in him, but he still went to the cross. Why? Because of our sins. But Jesus was innocent, so it was unfair, but yet he doesn't storm out. He doesn't take himself off the cross. He doesn't pack up his 
wickets in his cricket bat and grab the ball and walk away in anger. He doesn't do any of these things. He doesn't react or kick up a stink. Instead, he prays to God in heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Does this mean that the people that caused Jesus to be on the cross they had no idea what, not, what they were doing? Is Jesus saying that, that, that these people were so just like caught up in the moment that they had no understanding of the consequences of the actions that they made would end up with Jesus on the cross? Like, like really, no, I don't think so. Uh, these people knew what they were doing, but they didn't know what they were doing. They knew what they were doing, and they even felt justified by what they were doing, the Roman soldiers. Well, I'm just carrying out orders. This is what I've been told to do. They say, do this, I do that. They say, jump this high, I say, how high? I'm just following orders. The, the governor of the time, uh, Pontius Pilate, he says, well, I'm just, I'm just quelling a potential revolt by this revolutionary character, this Jesus guy. He could potentially revolt against Rome and cause an upstirring and uh, something like that. So, you know, I'm just stopping that. The Jewish leaders, they thought they were killing a blasphemous man. That means saying something that is against what God has said, you know, by saying he was the son of God. Blasphemy. How can you say that? You know, there's no man who is the son of God. And so they thought they were just doing the right thing, you know, doing the law, getting, getting him on the cross. The people, the people. They thought Jesus was just getting what he deserved for standing up, for speaking out against the religious institutions of the time. Everyone thought it was justified. Everyone thought that they, everyone knew what they were doing, but they didn't actually know what they were doing. See, those were their reasons for putting Jesus on the cross, but they weren't the reason that Jesus was on the cross. They had their reasons, but that wasn't the true reason for Jesus being on the cross. They don't know what they are doing. See, those words weren't just spoken about the people who were there at the crucifixion. Those words are spoken about us today as well. It wasn't just spoken about some Jewish people and some Roman soldiers and some people who were gathered at the cross that day. It's spoken about you. It's spoken about me. I don't know what I'm doing. The way I live my life sometimes, I don't know what I'm doing. The actions that I do, the behaviors, the thoughts, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sure you're the same. Well, I know what I'm doing, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm caught up. You know, I'm in this sinful nature. See, Jesus was not just speaking about those people in that moment. He was also speaking about you. He's saying, Father, forgive them. There's people in Elevation Church today, 2021. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus wasn't on the cross because of the words some people spoke 2,000 years ago. He was on the cross because of my sin and your sin. Jesus was on the cross because of your sin and my sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that violates God's commands, anything that exalts itself above God, anything that gets placed in a place of worship above God, any, any acts that are against God's commands in the Bible. And we think of things, when we think of sin, we think of things like murder and, and stealing and doing all kinds of things like that, the bad sins, hating. But it's also things like lying and jealousy and storing up strife and thinking bad thoughts. It's also putting something good like your family before God. The Bible calls that sin. Putting something good like your family before God, higher than God, that's called sin. And I wonder if there's anyone here who's ever done any of those things here today. You don't have to put your hand up. You don't have to admit to any of those, those things, but you know, you can to God. But I wonder if there's anyone who's done that. I'm sure we all have. Maybe not some of those, you know, those earlier sins, but I'm sure we've done all these things. 
We've had sin in our lives. We're guilty. Here's what the Bible says about us. Romans 3.10. No one is righteous, not even one. The Bible says no one is good. Ah, I'm a good person. The Bible doesn't agree with you, unfortunately. I know you may do good things, but the Bible says in the deepest part of our hearts, no one is righteous, not even one. Then Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. So it doesn't matter if you're here today and you're a young person, if you're an old person. It doesn't matter today if you are here and you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, that He rose again, you believe in what the Scriptures wrote, or you don't believe in God, you're not so sure about Jesus, you're not so sure about the Scripture. It doesn't matter what we believe. The Scripture clearly says everyone has sinned. The great message of the gospel, however, is it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us in that place, in that place of sin. And I'm so thankful that we have a loving God who says everyone is a sinner and yet I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send my son Jesus on the greatest rescue mission of all time. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and you know 80s and 90s is all action movies. And so I love an action movie, and it's usually a rescue mission, you know. And so I love rescue mission, you know, action movies and stuff like that. But the greatest mission, rescue mission ever was Jesus coming to earth to save mankind. And even though we had wronged God, even though Jesus might have said, it's not fair, God. Why am I on this cross for their sins? Why shouldn't they pay for their own sins? Jesus didn't say that. He never crossed his mind. Instead, what crossed his mind was your salvation and my salvation. Instead of saying it's not fair, he said, send me. Send me. Jesus said, send me. I will go for them. And maybe you're here today and you don't know that you need saving. Maybe you've come to church for the first time or maybe you've been coming for a little while and it's the first time you've heard that. And you're like, wow, I, 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 don't know that, I didn't know that I needed saving. I didn't know that I need this thing that we call, that the church calls salvation. And you might be saying, what does all this mean? Well, it's very simple. It means that you just acknowledge that your goodness is not good enough. And that it's actually the righteousness, the goodness, we could say, of Jesus that makes you good. But you can't do it through any other way than by accepting Jesus as your Savior. Just like in the action movies, you know, we need Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone to come in in the rescue mission. We need Jesus to come in to the rescue mission of our life to save us from sin. And so Jesus came and through his act on the cross, your sin was defeated. This power of sin was defeated. Eternal separation from God was defeated. And we've been given an opportunity to have a relationship with God now. And so today, maybe you're like that. You're in that place of, of just trying to suss this thing out. What is Christianity about? I want to give you an opportunity. I pray that as I'm speaking today, that God is speaking to you. And at the end of my message, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Hey, I need a Savior. I need Jesus, this man who died for me on the cross to come and to save me. And I'll lead you through a short prayer and we'll do that maybe at the end of my message. That's going to be great. So Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, he reminds God the Father to forgive us. He says, hey God, forgive them. He reminds God the Father to forgive us for the physical, emotional, mental, 
spiritual suffering that Jesus was facing on that cross. You better believe he was going through all these things. He was part man, part God. But in this moment, he was fully experiencing the human experience of the pain, the agony, the separation, and then the spiritual separation from his father. And he reminds God the Father, yes, Father, I'm on the cross because of the sins of Bronson. I'm on the cross because of the sins of other people in Melbourne West today and the sins of Melbourne and the world. But Father, forgive them of their sins. Stephen Furtick in his boat, seven, uh, his boat, yeah, in his book, Seven Mile Miracle, he wrote this. His death on the cross is now the means, this is Jesus, by which people can approach God in repentance, seeking forgiveness. And we can do this with boldness, not because we deserve forgiveness, but because we have confidence in Jesus' authority and willingness to forgive. Forgiveness is given by the wrong party. Jesus on the cross dying for my sins. He forgives me and he forgives you. So three thoughts I want to bring around this incredible statement of Jesus today. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, Jesus made the first move. Tell the person next to you, say, Jesus made the first move. Romans 6, 5 to 8, when, they were, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You'll hear people say, I found God. Or you might hear someone say, I found Jesus. And I, I love that statement. I love the, the, where it's coming from. I love that a person is in a place where God is moving in their lives. That's great. But in truth, God found us. God found us first. God made the first move. He found us. And we think, we think that if we make the first move by going to church, by reading our Bibles, by tithing, by being good, by having patience, you know, by avoiding gluten, for going for a run, whatever. We think by doing all these things that we can make ourselves good before God and then God will like us. If I do something first, then God has to respond in a like manner. But that's not how it works. See, Jesus made the first move at the cross. It's what He did first that makes God love us, not what we've done. It's not because you did good to the neighbor. It's not because you said a kind word to the stranger, which is all good things to do. I encourage you. It's not because of those things. It's because what Jesus did. What is it that Jesus did? Let's look at some things. Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. If you're here today and you're searching for real love, let me tell you something. Look to Jesus. You'll see an example and a picture of real love. Real love is sacrifice, giving of yourself and expecting nothing in return. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, 4, there is one God and one mediator, talking about Jesus, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus gave forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and there's some things in your life and you think there's no way that God can forgive me for what I've done, that Jesus can forgive me for, for my lifestyle, for what I've done in the past, for what I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, you're planning ahead. But 
The Bible says God forgives you because Jesus spoke those words, Father, forgive them. And because he said that, you can receive God's forgiveness in your life, and that will change how you see things. Jesus made the first move. Number two, we have a responsibility. The kids could come. That would be great. We have a responsibility. There's a song that was released in 2000 by this punk rock band, and this song... um, I've got to admit, I didn't really know this song, but in, in, in looking for some examples, some stories from a message, this song came up, and it's called Responsibility. And this is how the chorus goes. It goes like this. Responsibility, what's that? Maybe there were eight-year-old punk rockers. I don't know. Responsibility, not quite yet. Responsibility, what's that? I don't want to think about it. We'd be better off without it. Some people are living like that today. I don't want any responsibility. It's, life's easy. Just go do my thing. You know, and then you find out sooner or later that there's, there's something to pay in that. But we can think that same way about our responsibility around forgiveness. See, there's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. But there is a responsibility we have when we've received God's forgiveness. What is that responsibility? There's a responsibility to forgive others too. And we're all about God's forgiveness for the wrong that I've done in my life. But sometimes we're not so much about the forgiveness that we have to give others who have wronged us. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's Jesus saying here? If you don't give forgiveness... You've never truly received or understood forgiveness. See, if you have received God's forgiveness, but you can't pass it on, I'm going to challenge you today and say that you don't actually understand what Jesus did on the cross for you. You don't understand the price that He paid. See, once you realize how much you've been forgiven, you realize you need to forgive others. And how great great a forgiveness that God has shown me for my life Ought I not to pass on that forgiveness of God to others, whatever and whatever is causing unforgiveness in your life, I would encourage you, take that offense and place it at the foot of the cross. Take that offense and place it before God, before Jesus on the cross this morning. Put it at the feet of the one who says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times. Peter's like, man, look at me. My brother does something against me, I'll forgive him seven times, God. Seven times, you know, the the, the biblical number of God. And Peter is one of his followers of Jesus and he's thinking, seven times is a lot, God. That's impressive. And Jesus, he follows on in the next verse. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And so the legalistic people here are like, well, I've forgiven that person 77 times. No more. That's what Jesus said. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there's a hard attitude inside me, not a legalistic laws, commands. There's a hard attitude in me that just keeps going, keeps forgiving. 76, 77, 78, just keeps forgiving. Jesus' response would have shocked Peter. He's basically saying there's no limit on how many times you are to forgive someone. Can I say to you, God doesn't have a limit on the amount of times He's forgiven you. 
on the amount of forgiveness He's given you, on your past, your present, your future. There's no limit on God's forgiveness towards us. So we have to be willing to forgive without limit as well. Forgive without limit. Jesus is saying to you and me, there's no limit how many times I'll forgive you and there's no limit to how many times I can empower you to forgive others. Bronson, I don't have the power in myself to be able to forgive that person who did that thing to me, to be able to forgive that company or whatever, to whatever happened in my life. Can I say to you today, you don't need to have the strength. All you need is Jesus, the Holy Spirit within you. He empowers you. He gives you the strength to forgive where you could not forgive. Jesus said there's no many times, no, no limit on how many times I could heal your broken heart. When you're hurt, there's no limit on how free you can be. There is a freedom that comes in our lives when we let go of bitterness and we let go of unforgiveness. There is a freedom that comes and you find out the person that was bound was not that person but yourself. And you're free now. See, when we've received Jesus' forgiveness, we have a responsibility to forgive others. Jesus not only forgives us, He empowers us to forgive others. Number three, Forgiveness keeps us on track. See, forgiveness doesn't just set you on the right path. It keeps you there. It doesn't just set you in the right direction. It keeps you there. See, we live in a society today where everything has an expiry date. Food, you know, you go to the supermarket, the food's got an expiry date. The other day we're having a barbecue, having some lamb chops. I'm like, Gab, is, this, is there a use-by date on these lamb chops? She said, no, it's all good. It's all fine. So there's use-by date on food. I, I don't know. Depending on how into fashion you are, there's a use-by date on fashion. No one told me. I'm still wearing the same pants I've been wearing for five years. There's a use-by date on fashion, apparently. I don't know. I've been getting into doing lawn care. Man, this is, when you're 43, this is, this is where you end up, guys. Young people, you've got a lot to look forward to. In these products that I'm buying, there's use-by dates. I'm like, what? There's use-by dates. Plastics have a use-by date. I was reading this, this thing. There's this company called Tontine. There's a, a pillow maker here in Australia. In October 2010, they put expiry dates on their pillows. They saw sales go up 20% by putting an expiry date, made the company millions of dollars. See, we are so used to living in a world where everything expires. But can I say to you today, God's forgiveness doesn't come with an expiry date. Come on, God's forgiveness doesn't come with an expiry date. John 1:16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, we haven't received only one delivery of grace. We haven't received a grace that God said, Well, there's your grace, Bronson. And, and that grace is sufficient for this amount of time. Then after that, I'm sorry, man. Grace is gone. There's no more left. There's a use by date. No, we haven't received one delivery of grace. It wasn't given once at the moment that we were saved. No, Jesus. Jesus. It says that in Jesus we receive grace upon grace. Keeps going and going. Grace upon grace. The undeserved favor of God. Grace upon grace that we receive. It keeps going and going. I love the scripture verse from Lamentations 3. Probably the only scripture verse in Lamentations that I like. If, you, if you're not a Bible person here today, it's just a book full of Lamentations. Crying, weeping, moaning. But this one is great. It says this, The steadfast love, the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
It's a great song we used to sing using those words. Great is your faithfulness. We mess up, we sin, we make mistakes, we say wrong things, we do something dumb, we hurt people around us, we do things we shouldn't do. But God's forgiveness for us never comes to an end. Grace upon grace. Every day there's new grace, there's new mercies. It's like this picture of, you know, see, we have this picture of there's this bucket and there's this bucket and for the rest of my life, this bucket contains the grace that I have, that God has for me. And, you know, as I use it it, it, it gets used up and slowly, slowly, there's no more grace left in the bucket. But that scripture verse says every morning, God just tops that bucket up. God just tucks, cups, tops that bucket up. He just gives us more grace, new, new mercies every day. Forgiveness keeps us on track. As I've been speaking today, there's people here, and for the first time, you're realizing that God has forgiven you. You're here today, and you've never truly had that revelation. This might be your first time in church. You might have been coming to church for years, and yet you've never really stopped to pause at the cross to see what Jesus did for us, that God has forgiven you. You did something. You said something. You hurt someone, and God forgives you. God forgives you, and I help you with that. You could say a simple prayer right now. You could say a simple prayer. God, thank you that you have forgiven me. Thank you for what Jesus did. I am forgiven of my sin, the way I've been living. And Jesus, I want to live for you now. It's a simple prayer you could pray. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Now I want to live for you. There's others here today, and you're realizing that just as God has forgiven you, just as Jesus said, forgive them. You're realizing that I need to forgive others around me. There's a specific person right now that God is speaking to you about. There's someone that you know, you know, it's coming right to your mind right now. There's a person. God has asked you to forgive them. I want to ask you that. Would you do that? Would you be like Jesus? Say, Father, I forgive them. Maybe they didn't know what they were doing. Maybe they knew full well what they were doing. God, I forgive them. Just like you forgave me. This week, would you say that, you know, you don't have to go up to that person and say, hey, you know, I forgive you. You don't have to do anything like that. But you can just say a simple prayer to God. God, today I forgive that person. Lord, there's still some things in my heart that's going to take some healing. and It's going to take you to do some work in my life. But Lord, the first step, I just want to say I forgive that person just like you have forgiven me, God. I'm going to lay that offense at the cross. Forgive that person. See, Forgiveness may be the start of the journey with Jesus, but we never really get past it. We never really get past it. We keep coming back to the cross. Wow, at the cross. Jesus forgave me. Jesus forgave me. And so it's where we start the forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins, but we never really go past it. Whenever we do wrong, we seek God's forgiveness. We seek God's forgiveness. Whenever someone wrongs us, we extend God's forgiveness. Never, we never, it never changes. It doesn't matter how long you've been journeying with Christ. It doesn't matter how mature you are in God's Word, how mature a Christian you are. It never changes. Whenever someone wrongs, we extend God's forgiveness because the example is shown by Jesus. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Let's close our eyes. God, today in this place, we just...